0: Section 20 of The Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments Ethics of Human Subjects Research A Historical Perspective chapter three part one government standards for human experiments the 1960s and 1970s the year 1974 marks the upper bound for the period of the advisory committee's historical investigation that year two landmark events in the history of government policy on research involving human subjects took place the promulgation by the department of health education and welfare of comprehensive regulations for oversight of human subject research and passage by congress of the national research act the DHEW regulations set rules for oversight of human subject research supported by the single largest funding source for such research and the National Research Act authorized the establishment of the National Commission for the Protection of Human Subjects of Biomedical and Behavioral Research, also known as the National Commission, which was charged with examining the conduct of research involving human subjects. In the years following 1974, many of the rules promulgated by DHEW were subsequently adopted by various other government agencies, culminating in government-wide regulations under the Common Rule in 1991. In the first part of this chapter, we trace the developments in the 1960s and early 1970s that influenced and led up to the DHEW regulations and the National Research Act. These developments included congressional hearings on the practices of the drug industry and the thalidomide tragedy, critical scholarly writings interim policies at dhew public outcry over controversial cases of medical research and the congressional hearings these cases occasioned people were surprised and shocked to learn about practices and behaviors they knew to be wrong while the ethical principles such practices violated may not have been well articulated specific to the enterprise of human research they were part of individuals moral consciousness the history of these events has been well told before and we only summarize it here drawing heavily on the previous work of other authors the 1974 regulations were promulgated by dhew and applied only to that agency likewise the national research act authorized the establishment of the national commission and directed it to make recommendations to the secretary of dhew in the latter part of this chapter we review developments in policies governing human research during this period in agencies other than dhew this is a history that has received comparatively little scholarly attention in the nineteen seventies just as dhew was moving ahead with broad new regulations scandal rocked the department of defense and the cia it was revealed that with cooperation from university researchers these agencies had engaged in secret experimentation on military and civilian subjects without their knowledge sometimes with tragic results the discovery of the existence of these secret programs led to further congressional investigations and to a 1975 department of the army review of the effectiveness of the 1953 secretary of defense wilson memorandum adopting the nuremberg code this army review led to the eventual declassification of the wilson memorandum which had been top secret upon its issuance and remained classified until 1975 it also led much later litigation in which justices of the u s supreme court for the first time commented on the applicability of the nuremberg code to actions undertaken by the u s government the chapter concludes with a discussion of these important events the development of human subject research policy at d h e w as the largest funding source in the federal government for human subject research dhew led the way in developing regulations aimed at protecting the rights and welfare of subjects the evolution of the regulations which would eventually be adopted on a government-wide basis was influenced by revelations of unethical research congressional reaction to these revelations and concern over public perception of such research that regulations were eventually adopted at all by d h e w was influenced by the political realities of the time and the lack of congressional support for a standing regulatory body to oversee human subject research as had been recommended by an influential federally appointed panel the tuskegee syphilis study ad hoc panel in a trade-off that would have major influence on the future of human subject research oversight The proposed bill creating the standing regulatory body was withdrawn in exchange for the National Research Act, establishing the National Commission, and an understanding that DHEW would promulgate the aforementioned regulations. This historical backdrop is outlined in the remainder of this chapter. The Thalidomide Tragedy and Congressional Requirement for Patient Consent In 1959, a Senate subcommittee chaired by Senator Estes Kefauver of Tennessee began hearings into the conduct of pharmaceutical companies. Testimony revealed that it was common practice for drug companies to provide samples of experimental drugs, whose safety and efficacy had not been established, to physicians, who were then paid to collect data on their patients taking these drugs, Physicians throughout the country prescribed these drugs to patients without their knowledge or consent, as part of this loosely controlled research. These practices and others prompted calls by Kefauver and other senators for an amendment to the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of 1938 to address the injuriousness and ineffectiveness of certain drugs. In nineteen sixty one the dangers of new drug uses were vividly exemplified by the thalidomide disaster in Europe, Canada, and to a lesser degree, the United States. Starting in late nineteen fifty seven, the sedative thalidomide was given to countless pregnant women and caused thousands of birth defects in newborn infants, most commonly missing or deformed limbs the thalidomide disaster was widely covered by the television networks and the visual impact of these babies stunned viewers and caused americans to question the protections afforded those receiving investigational agents it is in large measure because of the thalidomide episode that the nineteen sixty two kefauver harris amendments to the food drug and cosmetic act were passed requiring that informed consent be obtained in the testing of investigational drugs while such testing occurred mainly with patients congress carefully avoided interfering in the doctor-patient relationship and in the process severely reduced the effectiveness of this requirement consent was not required when it was not feasible or was deemed not to be in the best interests of the patient both judgments made according to the best judgment of the doctors involved despite being limited in scope the kefauver harris amendments were influential in advancing considerations of protections of research subjects first within the dhew and later throughout the rest of the government nih and phs develop a uniform policy to protect human subjects In late 1963, concerns were raised within NIH by Director James Shannon, after disturbing revelations about two research projects, funded in part by the Public Health Service and NIH. One was the unsuccessful transplantation of a chimpanzee kidney into a human being at Tulane University, a procedure that promised neither benefit to the recipient nor new scientific information the transplant was reportedly done with the consent of the patient but without consultation or review by anyone other than the medical team involved the second was research undertaken in mid-1963 at the brooklyn jewish chronic disease hospital there investigators the chief investigator dr chester m southam was a physician at the sloan kettering cancer research institute and he received permission to proceed with the work from the hospital's medical director dr emmanuel e mandel had undertaken a research project in which they injected live cancer cells into indigent elderly patients without their consent the research went forward without review by the hospital's research committee and over the objections of three physicians consulted who argued that the proposed subjects were incapable of giving adequate consent to participate the disclosure of the experiment served to make both phs officials like shannon and the board of regents of the university of the state of new york which had jurisdiction over licensure of physicians aware of the shortcomings of procedures in place to protect human subjects. They were further concerned over the public's reaction to disclosure of the research, and the impact it would have on research generally and the institutions in particular. After a review, the Board of Regents censured the researchers. They suspended the licenses of Doctors Mandel and Southam, but subsequently stayed the suspension and placed the physicians on probation for one year. There were no immediate repercussions for the hospital, Sloan-Kettering, the university, or P.H.S., but the case nonetheless profoundly affected the subsequent development of federal guidelines to protect research subjects. To add to the ferment, NIH officials had closely followed the work of the Law Medicine Research Institute at Boston University, which issued survey findings in 1962 showing that few institutions had procedural guidelines covering clinical research and in the year after both the above-mentioned cases came to light the world medical association issued its declaration of helsinki which set standards for clinical research and required that subjects give informed consent prior to enrolling in an experiment Thus, national and world opinion on matters related to the ethics of human subject research created a climate ripe for changes in policies and approaches toward research ethics. Concern over disturbing cases and the growing attention paid to research ethics prompted NIH Director James Shannon to create a committee in late 1963 under the direction of the NIH Associate Chief for Program Development, Robert B. Livingston, whose office supported centers at which NIH-funded research took place. The internal committee was charged with studying problems of inadequate consent and the standards of self-scrutiny involving research protocols and procedures. The committee was also to recommend a suitable set of controls for the protection of human subjects in NIH-sponsored research. The Livingston Committee recognized that ethically questionable research, exemplified by the research at the Jewish Chronic Disease Hospital, could wreak havoc on public perception, increase the likelihood of liability, and inhibit research. These problems made it worthwhile to consider central oversight, or lack thereof, for research contracted out. However, the committee expressed concern over NIH taking too authoritarian a posture toward research oversight, and so argued that it would be difficult for the agency to assume responsibility for ethics and research practices. When it issued its report in late 1964, the committee did not recommend any changes in the current NIH policies and moreover cautioned that whatever nih might do by way of designating a code or stipulating standards for acceptable clinical research would be likely to inhibit delay or distort the carrying out of clinical research in deference to physician autonomy and traditional regard for the sanctity of the doctor patient relationship the report concluded that NIH was not in a position to shape the educational foundations of medical ethics. Director Shannon did not think the conclusions of the Livingston Committee went far enough, feeling as he did that NIH should take a position of increased responsibility for research ethics, especially in light of the Jewish Chronic Disease Hospital case and its implications for the NIH, both internally and in terms of public perception he felt that a stronger reaction was needed thus despite the committee's limited conclusions shannon and surgeon-general luther terry together decided in nineteen sixty five to propose to the national advisory health council (N.A.H.C.) an advisory committee to the surgeon-general of the public health service that in light of recent problems the nih should assume responsibility for formal controls on individual investigators at the NAHC meeting shannon argued for impartial prior peer review of the risks research posed to subjects and questioned the adequacy of the protections of the rights of subjects the council's members mostly agreed with shannon's concerns and three months later issued a resolution concerning research on humans following shannon's broad recommendations and endorsing the importance of obtaining informed consent from individuals be it resolved that the national advisory health council believes that public health service support of clinical research and investigation involving human beings should be provided only if the judgment of the investigator is subject to prior review by his institutional associates to assure an independent determination of the protection of the rights and welfare of the individual or individuals involved of the appropriateness of the methods used to secure informed consent and of the risks and potential medical benefits of the investigation What this statement did not do, however, was explain what would count as informed consent. The NAHC recommendations were accepted by the new Surgeon General, William H. Stewart, and in February 1966 he issued a policy statement requiring PHS grantee institutions to address three topics by committee prior review for all proposed research involving human subjects, This review should assure an independent determination 1. of the rights and welfare of the individual or individuals involved 2. of the appropriateness of the methods used to secure informed consent and 3. of the risks and potential medical benefits of the investigation. The 1966 PHS policy required that institutions give the funding agency a written assurance of compliance but like the N.A.H.C. recommendations the policy spoke strictly to the procedural aspects of informed consent and not to its meaning or criteria substantive informed consent criteria were established for research at the nih clinical center shortly after the phs policy was issued but this new policy applied only to intramural research, that is, to research undertaken at the clinical center. The clinical center policy was important, as the first federal research policy with a specific definition of what constituted informed consent requirements in the research context. The inclusion of specific consent requirements in policies applying to extramural research would not occur, however, until the mid-1970s. The 1966 PHS policy is significant, both for its recognition that patient subjects, like healthy subjects, should be included in the consent provisions for federally sponsored human experimentation, and for its attempt to strike a balance between federal regulation and local control, which continues to this day. Such a balancing continued the work begun by the AEC in its provision for local human-use communities as a condition for the use of AEC-supplied isotopes, and the Department of Defense in the provision for a high-level review of proposed experimentation. Although a landmark in the government regulation of biomedical research The 1966 policy was to be revised and changed throughout the decade, as biomedical research drew greater attention, and informed consent grew in importance. While from the outset the PHS policy was revised periodically, site visits by PHS employees to randomly selected institutions revealed a wide range of compliance, these site visits found widespread confusion about how to assess risks and benefits refusal by some researchers to cooperate with the policy and in many cases indifference by those charged with administering research and its rules at local institutions complaints of overworked review committees and requests for clarification and guidance came from research institutions all over the country In response to continued questions about the scope and meaning of the policy, DHEW, in 1971, produced the Institutional Guide to DHEW Policy on Protection of Human Subjects. Better known as the Yellow Book, because of the cover's color, this substantial guide contained both the requirements and commentary on how the requirements were to be understood and implemented, the guide provided that informed consent was to be obtained from anyone who may be at risk as a consequence of participation in research including both patients and healthy volunteers as the nineteen sixties progressed increased discussion of research practices appeared in both professional literature and the popular press one person who advanced the debate in both arenas was Henry Beecher of Harvard Medical School. Henry Beecher, the Medical Insider, Speaks Out Henry Beecher, as noted in Chapter 2, was an active participant in professional discussions of ethics in research during the late 1950s and early 1960s. In March 1965, Beecher focused attention on the issues at a conference for science journalists, sponsored by the Upjohn Pharmaceutical Company. There, Beecher presented a paper discussing 22 examples of potentially serious ethical violations in experiments that he had found in recent issues of medical journals. Among them was the Brooklyn Jewish Chronic Disease Hospital study. He explained this research had not taken place in a remote corner but in leading medical schools university hospitals top governmental military departments governmental institutes and industry he also acknowledged that his own conscience was not entirely clear lest i seem to stand aside from these matters i am obliged to say that in years gone by work in my laboratory could have been criticized beecher also explained the consciousness raising purpose of these revelations with stark clarity it is hoped that blunt presentation of these examples will attract the attention of the uninformed or the thoughtless and careless the great majority of offenders in making this presentation to a group of journalists beecher was clearly breaking with a professional expectation that such matters should be addressed within the biomedical community after some reservations on the part of medical journals the march 1965 paper having been rejected by at least the journal of the american medical association jama beecher published a revised version in the new england journal of medicine in june 1966 that article like his presentation at the conference indicted the entire biomedical research community and the journals that published biomedical research results beecher's efforts to focus professional press and therefore public awareness on the conduct of research involving human subjects met with some success a july 1965 article in the new york times magazine was headlined, Doctors must experiment on humans, but what are the patients' rights? In February 1966, as the PHS issued its first uniform policy for biomedical research, more headlines, this time in the Saturday Review, asked, Do we need new rules for experimentation on people? in july 1966 following beecher's article in the new england journal of medicine and an editorial in jama another article declared experiments on people the growing debate thus by the mid to late 1960s professional governmental and public attention was all being drawn to issues of research on human subjects revelations of purportedly unethical treatment of research subjects would not be over by this time but changes in policy largely driven by attention from so many corners were beginning to move toward a more comprehensive approach to research oversight end of section twenty recording by maria casper